the Little Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Danielle Wiggins is the reason people in Cleveland get to work on time and in one piece. She's the morning traffic reporter for 3 News at WKYC Studios. She also anchors and reports in areas outside of traffic. Danielle grew up watching Channel 3, and now I think she's a star in the station. Danielle was also my producer for the Regina Brett Show that aired for three years on WKSU-FM, an NPR affiliate out of Kent, Ohio. Danielle is one of the most joyful people I know, always shining her light on the world with that 100-megawatt smile, even though she has known times of debilitating darkness. Danielle is here to talk about finding your light and being the light for others. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Oh, Regina, thank you for having me. You are going to make me cry with that introduction. My goodness. Well, you you do. You have the best smile and you have so <laughs> much energy. I always feel tired after talking to you because you're so energetic. It's like, wow. <laughs> but I, I expect you to start with, there's construction on the West Shoreway and he's <laughs> jam from Macedonia to Bedford Heights. You have a great voice for, for traffic and weather. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yep. It, it wasn't always like that, though. <laughs> that is true. But no one I know gets more excited than about weather, construction, and traffic than you, Danielle. <laughs> well, you know, it's all about being there for the viewers. Because if I'm, you know, I'm on the mor- morning show, it's from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. And if I'm like, uh here we go. You know, people are not going to be happy to start their day. So I have to be happy or energetic about whatever I'm presenting so that to help people start their day off on a right note. So you get up at like something like 2 a.m. or 2.30 in the morning? Yes, yes. Um, but during the coronavirus pandemic, um, when I returned to air, because they kind of transitioned me to do more reporting. Um, but then when I returned to do traffic, I got to sleep in just a tad bit uh, until 3 a.m. because Ooh. I was uh, <laughs> broadcasting from home. So <laughs> good for you. Well, Danielle, let's talk about your first big detour. You grew up in Bedford, Ohio area. You went off mm-hmm. to college with, with big dreams. What were you going to do back then? What did you think was the big dream for you? Well, my big dream was to be, it's interesting, um, I'm here now, but I never thought that I would get here in that time of when I graduated from college. But the first detour for me was when I went off to the University of Missouri, Columbia. Now, at the time when I was a 17, 18-year-old teenager, my goodness, they were the number one school in journalism. And I knew how competitive journalism was. I wanted to be an anchor and reporter. I I grew up watching Ramona Robinson uh, when she was on the 10 o'clock news. And I wanted to be just like her. I loved Ramona Robinson growing up. And so um, I went off to the University of Missouri, the number one school of journalism at the time, and was doing very well. I knew it was very competitive to get into the journalism school when you hit your junior year. But what happened is right before my junior year of college, I was diagnosed with depression after pledging a sorority. In my little 19, 20-year-old mind, my life fell apart. When I thought of depression or things like that, I I thought of the word crazy. Um, And 
unfortunately, at the time in the black community, it was something that was like, you don't get depressed. Go to church. <laughs> you know, you, you no, nobody gets depressed. No, no, we don't get depressed. You have to be strong. And so it was very, very hard for me to recover from that. What were like the symptoms that you first noticed that something was wrong or something had shifted? Well, what I noticed was, is, you know, I went from a straight A student in college and then it was, I just had a bunch of thoughts of fear, just scared. I would sleep all day and sleep to avoid just life in general. And that wasn't me. You know, I'm typically energetic. I'm typically, you know, hey, let's do this. Let's go there. And I just was afraid of people. I had just thoughts of you know, not everybody's out to get me, but just that I was a failure. Um, I couldn't do anything right. Just very self-deprecating thoughts. And it was terrible. It was like nonstop. I had little energy um, to do anything. And I just really wanted to sleep all day to avoid whatever I had to face. So did your roommates notice this? Your college roommates? So at the time, I had to think back really quickly. I was in the process of pledging a sorority. So I was with 17 other girls all of the time. And um, we were just, you know, running around campus, doing different things, learning things about our sorority. And we barely slept. But I think I went home for spring break and... I, I, I got better. I felt better. But when I returned after spring break, that's when things were just different. And it was just like, I could barely talk. I was shaking all the time. And, you know, I don't know. I I think I felt like I needed to be perfect. It was my mother's sorority that she was, she had, well, she was the president of the Cleveland chapter at the same, at the time I was um, trying to join the organization. And so I was like, I have to be perfect. I have to represent my mom well. And What I realized is through all of that, my entire life, you know, I grew up with with low self-esteem. And what I had learned is that if I achieved and the more that I can achieve, then it will make me feel better temporarily. So I chased after achievement, after achievement, after achievement. But when I hit pledging a sorority, one of the things was no matter what you did, you could do nothing right. I mean, it was, you know, it was just 20 years ago. And so that really messed with my psyche because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you took away my ability to hide behind my achievements. And I had to deal with what was going on. So my mother was the first one to really acknowledge that something is wrong with my daughter. My mom would tell you like, any parent knows their child back and forth. So she was the first one to say something is wrong. So you went from a straight A student with this big dreams to hard time getting out of bed, no energy. What happened with your mom? Like, what was the moment when she said, we got to do something? Well, they had my going into it. was So it was my sophomore year going into my junior year in which the change in me happened, I would say. And she came there and pulled me out early from my sophomore year. And what I did was I took incompletes and over the summer I finished school, but the summer was terrible. I mean, I would barely get out of the bed, but for some reason I was able to work a job and, and go to school. I had no idea how I did. And my dad kind of like 
help me with my schoolwork and help me finish my incompletes. And I was so, I would say, just proud or prideful because I was didn't want to admit that anything was wrong. But actually, when she came to pull me out at the end of that academic year, she had took me to the hospital. And that's when they had said, you know, your daughter has clinical depression. We're like, whoa, what? You know, what? No, I don't think that's true. And so I didn't want to accept it. I didn't want to believe it at all. And so that summer was a struggle. And when I went back to school, she allowed me to go back, which probably wasn't a good idea. And things just got worse and worse. And I would not even go to class and I would hide myself in my dorm room. And my parents just said, you know what? We got, we have to pull the plug on this. And one day they just showed up in my dorm room and knocked on the door and I opened the door and there they were. And they said, we're taking you home. And outwardly I said, you know, I kind of looked upset, but inwardly like inside my soul was rejoicing, like to see my mother and father, because I was on just a terrible road and there they were to literally save me because my mom knew that I couldn't survive all the way out of Missouri by myself, and I needed a lot more help. So the help you got came really, your parents intervened. Now, you mentioned there's a stigma in the Black community and also just in the greater general community about depression. And people say, well, why can't you be happy? They think it's a matter of happiness. Mm -hmm. how How did you kind of break that stigma to get help for you? Your parents started the ball rolling. And when you even now tell people, I have depression or I've dealt with it, how do you shed that weight of that, oh, you're crazy, or oh, just get over it, that kind of the way people act toward it? Well, I think there was a turning point because my, my grandmother, God bless her soul, you know, she was she was one of the ones that kind of told me like, oh, you know, don't tell anybody. Nobody, you know, nobody in our family has depression. Well, I since found out that that's not true. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was, you know, don't tell anybody. And so it was very secretive. But my mom really set the example. So, you know, I went to counseling. I went and saw therapists. I took medicine. My mom, I overheard her talking about my depression to one of her friends. And I got so upset because it was supposed to be a secret. It was just supposed to be something within our family. My mom said something so powerful to me. She said, Danielle, I don't know about you, but I need help with this. This is new to me and I need to get help. And I'm sorry, that's just what has to be done. And oh my goodness, there was nothing I could do to argue with that. So she set the example of getting help, of talking about it for healing because she needed to be healed to be able to help me. And so I kind of just followed her lead. So how long did it take for you to kind of get it manageable to where you could function well with living with depression because a lot of people live with it. It doesn't go away. You have to manage it. How do you, how do you do that? Well, it's been a lifelong process and, you know, we'll talk about that. I'm sure in the other detour, because it's because of the depression, there is another detour that happened in my life, but man, it was surrounding myself with people who I know are supportive of me. And people who know me and are okay with that Danielle sometimes gets sad, you know, and um, Danielle sometimes have low energy and they are there to protect me. So they're kind of like my, a strong support system. 
my husband is my number one fan and you know he is there to you know so you'll just say, go to sleep get some sleep because i realized like for me and my health mental physical spiritual sleep is very important for me and so i need to get rest i need to exercise that's very important as well as maintaining my balance also i need to be uh, basically spiritually connected. My faith is very, very important to me. So I need that time to commune with God. I need that time to pray. I need that time to journal. And also I need people around that I can talk to and just really talk to them about what's going on in my life. So other people use counseling or medications. Did you do any of that also? Yes. And so it's interesting because my pastor, his wife is a licensed counselor. And at the time when, you know, I transferred to Kent State, pretty much my mom pulled me out of the University of Missouri and transferred to Kent. And I had another kind of like just depressive episode towards my, uh, the end of my senior year. And she kind of was just walked me through it and she was getting her master's. So she knew a lot of the counseling And so I spoke with her. I talked with her a lot. She was always there and she was always there to monitor me. And so she would say like, so I would see her every Sunday at church and she would say, "Mm, Danielle, you don't look too good, (laughs) you know? And I made a pact with her and I took medicine for a while, but I was, I wanted to get off and there's nothing wrong with medication. So for those of you who, you know, are like, I don't know about medicine, take medicine if you need it take it. There's nothing wrong. If you have heart issues, if you have diabetes and you need to take medicine, there is no shame in that. So with depression, no shame as well. But for me, it was, I kind of wanted to get off the medication, but I made a pact with her that, you know, I was going to do all of the things that it took to keep me level and to keep me okay. And if those didn't work, I promise to go back on medication. Sounds like you had a lot of tools in your toolbox to deal with this and a lot of good support. Thank God, because I couldn't do it on my own. Well, let's move into that second detour. So you grew up as a kid watching Ramona Robinson, who I had on my podcast. And Ramona was is the first African-American woman to anchor the news here in Cleveland. And it's a big mm-hmm. company here. So you grew up watching her. You want to be like her. You go off to college. And you had written once about the flight back home having tears in your eyes, you're you're going back home and you feel like you lost your dream, you're giving it up. Tell us what that plane ride was like when you felt like it was over. Well, actually that plane ride was from my first year at Missouri. That was my first time being away from Northeast Ohio for a long period of time. So I went to school in, let's say we left, I think I left in August and I didn't return until November for Thanksgiving. And so that was kind of like more when I wrote about that, that was kind of like crying because that was the first time I saw the skyline, the Cleveland skyline in in, <laughs> in, in a month. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love my city. But when it came to coming home that time, it, you know, I think my, no, we did fly, but I was just happy to be home. I didn't believe that I had lost my career dream that time. But as I said, moving into Kent, you know, I picked up everything. I I got everything together. Oh, everything's going great. And um, I joined TV2 there, which is the television station at Kent State. I was anchoring there, reporting, doing well. 
And then all of a sudden, just in my senior year, I was returning from the National Association of Black Journalists. I was working on a TV program with them for that conference. And I just started feeling those same feelings of depressive depression out of nowhere. Like nothing was going wrong in my life or what I said, but it was just, just like a cloud of sadness, you know, kind of just, you know, elevates over you. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I knew what it felt like because of when I was in Missouri. And so what happened was I kind of constantly went through the motions with that and, you know, it just got worse and and worse and worse. And I just thought, you know what? I can't do it. I know that journalism is very stressful, different uh, career, you know, different schedules that we work. I just can't do it. And I thought that journalism was just not what God had for me. Being a TV reporter and anchor like Ramona Robinson was just not going to happen. And not in my area because, you know, I got sad all the time and, and I needed help. So you went through the depression, you come back home, you go to Kent State, and then we move into another detour. But I'm going to pause for just a minute. We're already at the halfway point. We could talk oh, no, forever. I talk too much. No, 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 no. I just want to thank everybody for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brad and to our guest, Danielle Wiggins. I know you have many podcast choices, and I'm really grateful that you chose to listen to mine. So Danielle, was there a moment where you felt like the dream is over, like depression derailed it forever? Yes. Yeah. My senior year, I even, you know, I was too far in the the program to switch (laughs) majors. But I remember speaking to my first lady at the time. Well, she still is, but you know, and just, just, you know, she would really just kind of mother me, I would say, and talk to me when I was at at campus. Because again, she was pursuing her graduate degree. And I was like, well, you know, counseling might be good. I like to talk. And so I even thought about (laughs) counseling and and doing those different things. But I just remember like praying. They taught me like how to pray and how to kind of fast and just, you know, ask God, like, God, you know, what do you want? I don't want to make this big decision. And towards the end, I realized like I loved media too much uh, to give, to give up on it. And so I knew that I needed to stay in the Cleveland area to, as you can see, my support system is what kept me, you know, healthy and kept me thriving. And so I knew it would be an unwise decision to leave them. And so I said, well, I guess I'm never going to be on air because as you said, Cleveland is a pretty big market, top 20. And I was fresh out of college, no on-air experience. And usually in broadcasting and television, you have to move to smaller markets. And I knew that wasn't good for me and my health. So I said, well, I guess I better figure out what I'm going to do. So I tried to be a producer, even though deep down, I always wanted to be on air. Well, I met you when you were producing the Regina Brad show. You were so much joy and we (laughs) did it for quite a while. And then you had a moment where you answered an open casting call for the morning traffic reporter. I think your mom told you about it, wasn't it? She did. My mom is like the theme of this interview. Goodness gracious. She's your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> she is. She is. She also pushes me the, well, growing up, she pushes me the hardest. She she got the most slack from me, I say, growing up. So parents, you know, who may be going through a hard time with your kids and your kids are like, I can't stand your mama, <laughs> you know? Daddy, whoever, 
know that just stick in there. That's what my mom did. Cause I sure went through that. I, mom, my mom, mom was just the worst person on earth in my mind, but boy, oh boy, now that I'm older and I think back and I said, wow, if it were not for my mom, where would I be? Um, so for those of you going through hard times with your children, stick in there, stick in there. It, 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 it can turn around. Trust me, I'm a living testament of that. Um, but anyway, you know, sometimes you just have a dream. And, and I, I believe that a lot of times God places those little desires in your heart. And, you know, I was trying to tell myself, yeah, I got pretty good gig here. I like producing the Regina Brad show. We have a good time and you know, it, it's we we won awards together, Regina. And you know, you let me on the air too. We were co-hosts sometimes and it was great. But it still was just that nagging, you know, I would look at the news and like, gosh, I really want to do that. And I remember one day just praying, like, man, God, if if somebody could just have a open casting call, you know, here in Northeast Ohio. I literally prayed that because I knew nobody was going to give me a chance because I didn't have on-air professional experience. I was a producer. And I said, but I can just show them my personality. I remember specifically (laughs) praying for open casting call. And then one day my mom calls, my husband answers the phone and she goes, you know, I don't know if you're interested in this. My mom doesn't talk like this, but I'm just making it up. (laughs) But Channel 3 is having an open casting call for a traffic reporter position. I had no idea what traffic reporters did or anything, but I heard open casting call. I said, oh my gosh, that's an answer to my prayers. So, yep, I went after it. And this was rare because they had the station had people audition and send in a tape and then people vote. So you actually won. You won the spot, right? Yeah. Boy, I have so much appreciation for those people that go through American Idol and all of those other <laughs> those other like online voting. That was interesting. Yes, I think I was told that there were over 200 people that showed up that day to audition. And basically, we, we signed up for a time and we walked into the studio. And we had one minute to give a traffic report. Now again. The only thing I knew was my highways that I took. I didn't know anything, (laughs) Regina. I knew how to take 480 to 43 and 14 to get to Kent, you know? And that's all I really know. Knew at the time, but I think one of the photographers kind of told me, I was like, yeah, you know, they're looking for somebody with personality and nobody's giving personality. Everybody's trying to be all, you know, stiff and straight and come across as they're this newscaster. Well, boy... They asked for personality. I gave it. (laughs) I like to say that it was the most ghetto traffic report that you would ever hear. Oh, that's hilarious. But you know what? It set me apart. And so, yeah. And so I ended up winning. Long story with that, but to wrap it up, I know we don't have much time, but I ended up winning the online portion, the online voting portion, thanks to my sorority and your posse, oh huh? <laughs> what'd you say your posse came through your sorority yes group. yes they 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 were yeah they came out in full force uh to vote for me so I, i'm very appreciative of that yeah and after that then we had to go through an interview and just the regular interview process they narrowed it down to three and then they ended up selecting me 
So it wasn't easy at first. And I think this is really important. So you are on air and it's hard. You've got cameras and computers and all this technology. And then there's your voice. And you started to hear from people about they didn't like how you sounded. Tell us what Mm -hmm. the experience was like for you. It was horrible. It was absolutely (laughs) horrible. Horrible. Like I'm so glad you can laugh about it now. Yes. Can I say that one more time? Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I left every day crying. I think I think I knew. I knew that um it was going to be tough. What I wasn't prepared for is because I mean, you know, I'm saying that's a Holly Strano, I, you know, and the anchors at the time. I mean, Holly is a, is a legend here. And so I knew I had no experience on air. I knew how to write and do those different things, but you don't write and tell their typical stories when it comes to traffic. It's all ad lib. So all of the strengths that I had and learned in journalism school, I felt were stripped away from me. And all I had was my smile and the way that I dressed. And so I really wasn't prepared for the backlash and that it's public and you see these things and it's in front of everybody that I know. I, you know, received things of, oh, she she sounds like she has cotton in her mouth. She is illiterate. And I was, I mean, I was broken like, wow, I didn't realize. And and what I learned now is that, you know, it's just different dialects that people have. And so, you know, I grew up mostly around African-Americans. And so I was speaking that culture, but I needed to polish, be a little bit more polished. And so it was, it was tough not losing who I am, but being able to speak in a way in which People can, everybody from any culture can understand me because, you know, certain cultures, you say things differently. And I just had to take and say, okay, I'm not terrible. I'm not awful. Like, you know, people would send me emails. People would stalk me on Facebook and really write nasty comments about me. And I just had to say, you know, I'm not terrible or awful like they say that I am. I'm just green give myself some time and I'll get this. So did you come close to quitting though? Did you come close to saying, I'm not cut out, man? No. And the reason is because number one, my mom taught me never to quit. Like, you know, I played sports all the time. And I remember I was um, a sophomore and, and playing volleyball. I was a, like one of the only sophomores on the varsity volleyball team. And they put me through the ringer and they yelled and screamed at at me when I would make a mistake. And so it tore my confidence up. And I told my mom, I said, I'm quitting. I'm quitting. And my mom was like, "Uh uh-uh, you are not quitting. She said, because if you quit now, you will continue to quit the rest of your life when things get hard. And so for my, my entire life, my mother would never let me quit anything because she said that if you start quitting, you, it becomes a habit. And so when things get hard, you just quit. So I had that in the back of my mind. And then, like I said, I had this posse of people that would stay up voting for me across the country and here in Northeast Ohio. And I told myself, what would it look like to them if I quit? They worked so hard uh, to help me to win that competition. I could not do that. I could not do that. I was really standing on their shoulders. And so I said, well, 
I'm going to give it my best shot every day. I'm going to go to voice training. I'm going to go to all these different performance training to get better. And I'll just keep showing up until they fire me. And seven years later, I'm still here. Seven <laughs> years. Wow. Yes. I feel like it's been that long, Danielle. Yeah, seven years. So, Danielle, the idea of kind of having to change your voice, you know, your, your personal voice is such an identity of who you are. How mm-hmm. is that for you, especially as, a, as an African-American woman, to have your voice in the world be one way, but then professionally it has to be a little different or polished? Do you feel like you're losing a little bit of you or any struggle with that? I think the struggle was feeling that I was inferior, you know? So it wasn't that I was like, oh, I'm giving with my culture. I'm so great. You know, my culture is great. But it was just that even though it is, I love it. You know, I love being black, (laughs) you know, no shame in my game for that. But I thought, but I did feel like, wow, the, just the, you're inferior and because of the way that you speak. And that was something that I struggled with and still struggle with to this day. And in fact, it's interesting because now that I went through that, I'm very hard on my children with the way that they speak. I mean, there's just a little dialect, like, you know, what I would do is I would say wit, like, you know, I'm with, I'm with this person, but you know, it's really supposed to be pronounced with, you know, or, or I'm hanging. And you don't really pronounce the G at the end. And that's more, you know, culturally. So when I hear my children now do that, no, it's whip and pronounce the end of the word. And I'm, and then I start speaking in big words to where my nine-year-old, my daughter, she says, mommy, why are you always talking in big words to us? (laughs) And I said, because I want you to be better than me. I want you to have an expanded vocabulary and I want you to speak well. Because when you don't speak well, you know, people will feel like you're stupid and you don't have anything to offer. And even though it's our culture, we know, you know, we're smart and and all these different things. But unfortunately, that's the world that we live in and we have to adjust to that world. And so I have to prepare my nine and 12 year olds with, yes, this may be how your friends are speaking, but you can't speak that way. So you went from getting all this criticism to finally getting people saying you're an inspiration. What was that like from people started to post that they're looking up to you, Danielle Wiggins, and their kids are looking up to you, seeing you on TV? I think it was surreal because like, this is my passion. And Regina, I know you know this because I was your producer, journalism and and writing and a lot of us, I know me, I don't get paid like a lot of money, but I'm so passionate about what I do because the power that we have to tell stories and uh, to write and that people allow us into their lives to ask us, to ask them questions that they wouldn't maybe normally answer. Man, that's a great trust to have uh, from the community and to do it well. And so to be and to know that certain people may look at me like I looked at Ramona Robinson, or even a Danita Harris, who has uh, since become my mentor as well. It's like, whoa, like, I'm so honored. I don't deserve it. But it just makes me realize and it makes me work harder because I know that I want to represent well. I want to represent 
uh, women well. I want to represent my parents well. I want to represent, most importantly, God well. And so to hear that lets me know that, hey, I am doing a good job in presenting myself and being authentic to who I am. Well, you do deserve it. You work so hard. I don't know anybody that works as hard as you and has as much joy doing it as you. You make it look fun. I don't know if it is, but you're making it look fun. <laughs> you know, when you find your passion, I, I really look at my my career as my calling. Some people, you know, they just have a job and, and that's totally fine. Their calling is separate from what they get paid to do. But for me, it's just like telling stories and being on air and a connecting with people through mass media, like, oh my gosh, it's like, I feel like that's what God had placed me on this earth to do. And be a mom and, and love my kids and stuff like that too. Don't want to forget about them and yeah, my husband. Yeah. <laughs> you have a son who's 12, a daughter who's nine, and they've really watched this whole path. What do you feel like you want, the message your life is for them? Well, what do you think it is? Well, I would say the message that I would would want them to take from my life is you should live a life free of excuses and that you gave everything that you had to the world so that when you pass away, you pass away on E, which means you don't take your dreams to the grave with you. You don't take everything and everything that you were supposed to do or wanted to do to the grave with you. And so for me, you know, following after that dream, after all of the detours and all of the hardships and, and walking in that, and there, there will be more, there will be more stumbling blocks that I'll have to face and coming through. But what I want my children to know is that that's no excuse. You know, if God has it for you, keep going. Surround yourself with those people that you can continue to walk towards that so you can fulfill the purpose in your life so your purpose doesn't die with you. That is beautiful. Wow, that's my big takeaway. Don't pass away on E. Like, I mean, pass away on E. Use it all up, you know? Empty mm-hmm. life, so to speak. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. But Danielle, I want to thank you for joining us. And I'll have on my website, reginabrett.com, a way to reach you on your TV show. I want to close with your answer to this question. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? Hmm. I think the one thing that I do for myself is to be patient with myself because I'm so hard on myself. And I have to say, take that step back. And just say, Danielle, you know, you, you tear yourself apart, but then you just got to wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me give myself some credit here. You know, I, I, I let, let's look at where I came from. And so that's the deep answer. The logical answer is I sleep. <laughs> I need sleep. I need sleep, Regina, to take care of myself. So I prioritize that. Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your journey. What an amazing life. I can't wait to see the next steps unfold in your life for you and for your family. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, 
You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.